things might influence kind of my life, but they aren't who I am. And I don't accept that I'm not valuable. I don't accept maybe what the deceiver or culture or other things might throw at us, that we're not good enough and we're not strong enough and we're not pretty enough. I accept that, that I get to be a child of the King. And I, I hope you've come to that point in your life too, where the things you've had to accept, you know, we have to accept things, right? Sometimes it's active or passive. I mean, we kind of, we're kids and we, we have to accept our families of origin. We didn't really get to choose that. Maybe other things, maybe you look at your life and you think I've got some, some deficits or some deficiencies and you've learned to accept that. But we also realize that there are some things that we don't ever want to accept. That some things are not okay. We, we don't accept you know, abuse, um, neglect. We don't accept injustice. We want... We want to be people that are active about that. And, and so we play a role in what we accept or reject, right? We have a, a say, a role in many ways. And that's what we're going to be talking about today because there's a moment of acceptance in the whole Christmas story, the Advent season that we celebrate. There's a moment of acceptance that I think is powerful and it's one of strength. And we're going to be looking at that today. This is the second Sunday of Advent season and last weekend, David Bessenbacher did a great job kind of queuing us up uh, in, in all the things that we're waiting for. And certainly in the first century, they were waiting for a Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah that was actually going to be a military leader. And, and Jesus said, I come to bring a different sort of upside-down kingdom. Took them a while to get that. But we're waiting for that. And we're still waiting, by the way, because Jesus said one day he'll return. It's why we have communion so often around here, because we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back. So we're still in a season of waiting. So David did a great job last week kicking that off. And uh, this week I will try to do my best to get us into week two. This is week one of waiting. And uh, today we are going to talk about week two being acceptance. What we accept and what God is asking us to accept. So we're going to be looking at that today. If you have a Bible or device, you can start finding the book of Luke. It's in the New Testament part. It's one of the four Gospels. Gospel just means good news, and so the four writers are giving us the good news from their different camera angles. We're going to be in the, in the book of Luke and look at, at his account. We're glad you're here. I'm Pastor Ben, and if you're online, hello, we see you. God is moving in digital and physical spaces. We're thankful that you're able to be here with us in person, too. We gather like this, like Christ followers all over the globe. What do we say around here? We're one big dysfunctional family of faith, and uh, we lift up the name of Jesus and why do we lift up the name of Jesus, especially on Sundays? We want to do it every day, but especially on Sunday, because that was a day that tomb was empty. Jesus rose from the dead and changed human history forever and changed many of our hearts forever right in this room. So that's why we gather. Let's uh, pause for a word of prayer. Let's take a deep breath. One, two, three, deep breath. Let that out. Would you pray with me? Father, you're good and powerful. You're mighty. You're our Father. You're our King. And Father, we get to be part of your kingdom and, and get to walk in your ways. Lord, in this Christmas season, I pray that we would take time to remember who we are, that we accept the identity that you give us as valuable and as children of the Most High. So Father, we lean into your word. Uh, Father, I pray that you'd speak by the power of your Holy Spirit. And uh, Lord, on the second weekend of Advent, that you'd do a mighty work. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you uh, had your Bible or device, you need to be in Luke chapter 1. And uh, 
We're going to start with verse 26. And, and here's what's difficult about a passage like this. If you've been around church circles for a while, or maybe you have Christmas traditions at your home, these might be difficult to hear with new, fresh eyes. Because this story is so familiar to us. We read these words and it's kind of like we kind of almost hum them in our heads because we've heard them so often. So I'm going to ask you to maybe throw off some of those things and see if you can listen to this with fresh ears. What are things that stand out in this moment? Obviously, we're looking at a key figure in the whole Christian story. This gal named Mary, who was a teenager at the time. So here we go in verse 26. Let's read it with new eyes. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. Anything important that we've read already? House of David. David was a big name. And she's betrothed to Joseph, a word we don't use very often, but she is, in a sense, family obligated, engaged. Interesting things already in the first couple verses we read. And uh, and the virgin's name was was Mary, verse 28. And, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have, have found favor with God. And behold, you will, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. Or literally in Hebrew, Joshua. Which means Yahweh saves. Interesting name right away. Are, are we picking up some interesting things already? He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Now in the first century, for a Jewish person, this all would be ringing bells like crazy. We got King David. We love King David. And now something miraculous is about to happen. He will reign over. He will not only... The Lord will give him the throne of David, but he will reign over, what does it say? The house of Jacob forever. Ding, ding, ding. Some big things going on right away. Forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. The world hasn't known a kingdom quite like this. And, 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 and Mary, she gets a chance to speak, and she says to the angel... How will this be since I am a virgin? Isn't there something kind of missing here, Lord, or Gabriel in this case? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. 
Are you hearing anything that's ringing bells here? And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I want to point out something that's kind of interesting, and I, I would love to spend more time on it, but do you notice the description of how exactly this child is going to be conceived? See, in Greek and Roman literature and mythical gods, there were gods sort of coopulating with humans all the time. This is not the wording here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void. The term there is chaotic. And God was about to bring order to the chaos. And of the Spirit, what does it say? The Spirit was hovering or overshadowing the waters. Did we just read something about an overshadow? Did you catch it? This is an act of new creation. Unlike any of the Greek and Roman God weirdo stories, this is God doing new creation. Isn't that powerful? The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. The mighty God will do this new act of creation. So there's all kinds of bells going off for me. All kinds of things. you got David. The line of David, that was a big deal. And he's going to have a kingdom that's going to, going to last forever. Some big things. Clearly Mary was afraid, or else why would the angel tell her not to be? Because she's kind of wondering what's going on. You found favor. Who is Gabriel? Does, does she even know that was his name? So this angel comes and gives this kind of interesting mission and presents that to Mary. And what does she do with it? You see, so, so often with Scripture, and, and certainly this story, our tendency, I think, over the years is to kind of take some preconceived notions and then, like, read them back into the text. Sometimes we have this kind of this view of Mary, and maybe that's because of all the weird nativity scenes you might see around town. But I feel like those nativity scenes don't really tell the whole picture because you have this, you know, gentle, meek, and mild young girl holding this perpetual baby that never cries or poops. It's this sort of, I don't know, tame version of how crazy this was. Jewish law did not look favorably on being with child out of wedlock. Our culture is very different than their culture was. This is a powerful, risky thing that they're recording, that Luke is recording for us. Likely, Luke had had a lot of conversations with Mary, even to be able to construct this so that we could read it all these centuries later. So be careful not to read into the text. Let the text inform us, not the other way around. In theological circles, I'll give you some $5 Bible words. There's two concepts, eisegesis and exegesis. Eisegesis is that thing I was just talking about where you kind of have some preconceived notions and you kind of just drag them into the text and make it up that way. Whereas exegesis is 
is reading the text and drawing out of it what the Lord wanted. Rather than reading into it and putting our preconceived notions in, we're going to read it and let it speak to us. Let the scriptures read us, not the other way around. And when I take that approach to this passage and many others, I don't see a meek and mild, submissive teenage girl just going with the flow. She encounters the Lord through this, through this message, through this Gabriel guy, this angel. And she is told some pretty powerful things. You're going to have this child and you're going to name him God saves. What, what did that register in her, her mind? You're going to call this human Yahweh saves. We kind of read over this and just kind of move on with our day, but she was supposed to name him, not a family name. Well, Joshua was a pretty common name, but a great name from some of the great leaders in Israel's history. But Joshua meant Yahweh saves. You're going to name him his identity. Mary and Joseph got to be those people to call him by his, his very identity of what he would do. See, rather than, rather than looking at Mary as sort of this otherworldly, I don't know, super submissive, obedient, quiet role model of perfect piety, I think we need to see a different sort of Mary here. A Mary that had some chutzpah, had some oomph, and she had a choice to make. Yeah, look, Mary was probably in the, the lower economic scale. Her and her husband Joseph, I mean, Joseph was a, a blue-collar worker. Most likely scholars think now that when we call Jesus a carpenter, he was more likely a person who worked in wood and stone, probably more stone in that area. In fact, ironically, some of the projects that Jesus and dad Joseph worked on were probably those projects that were commissioned by good old Herod. You remember his name? Think of all the years they had to work on these Herod projects. They were hard workers, but they, they didn't have a lot of money. They had a big family eventually. So yes, sometimes we tend to, to kind of marginalize people who are on the lower economic scale. And, and, and yes, she was part of an oppressed people, if you want to look at it that way. They were the Jewish people that returned from exile all these hundreds of years, and they'd been conquered and reconquered, and by this time, you know who's in power now, the Roman government. So they're probably soldiers walking around, and they've got to, they've got to live with the fact that they're kind of under, under another regime. They're under another empire. So that can all be said, but... But she is the one, just think about this. She is the one who likely introduced this child named Jesus to the very scriptures he would be fulfilling in his life. It was Mary. She's telling him these scriptures, going through the stories, talking about Moses and deliverance. Deliverance. She gets to tell him those stories. And in fact, we'll see here in just a minute, but Mary was so overwhelmed that she like wrote a song 
a poem. We call it the Magnificant. And, and, and it's put, been put to music, all kinds of stuff, but it's a beautiful poem. And that poem talks about blessing and victory and deliverance. And she's writing that song while the deliverer is in her womb. How does she know all that? What, what is this Mary? Maybe we need to take another look at who Mary really was. She sings this song. and She's carrying the deliverer. She actively mothered and was with Jesus through all of it. I mean, she was there when the miracles were going on. She was there with the other women supporting the entire ministry. Get your mind around that one. And she was there at all the key points. She was there at the cross. A place I don't think any mom or dad would want to be. And she's there through the, probably the beginning of the early church. She was a leader in the early church up until her own death. And likely, as we said, she's probably the key source for Luke's gospel. She got to tell the story that maybe the other yahoos didn't quite get. Or maybe she was privy to information, like would they have known about this special visit by Gabriel? We know now because she, she probably told Luke. Walter Brueggemann is a theologian. He wrote this. As a little child, Jesus must have often heard his mother, Mary, singing. Don't you love that? Just thinking through that. Mom singing to their children. And here, Mary was probably singing to Jesus. And as we know, she sang this revolutionary song, the Magnificant, the anthem of Luke's gospel. She sang in worship about how God brings down the mighty from their thrones and lifting up the lowly and how God fills the hungry with good things and sends away the rich empty-handed. Mary may have been inspired, if you're paying attention, Mary may have been inspired by another mom in Scripture, a mom named Hannah. And she had a little baby boy named Samuel. Those names sound familiar? Samuel became one of ancient Israel's greatest revolutionaries. Hannah and Mary and their little boys imagined a great social transformation. Singing to her young son about deliverance and he's going to be the one to do the delivering. The new, better, greater Moses because he's going to deliver the whole world. You know, Luke records here, I don't see Mary as some sort of victim of circumstances, you know, or being pressured into it by God. I don't see it like that because she accepts it. You remember what she says? May it be to me as you say. May it be to me. She actively says yes to this crazy thing she would have to do. I mean, she doesn't accept. Uh, that thinks this is going to be the way it's always going to be. I mean, looking at her political situation of her people and oppressed and looking at the society and looking at where the Jewish people were, she, she was seeing all this and she did not accept that that's our fate, that God is going to come through on his promises. And so she says yes. And she, she actively agrees to participate in this whole redemption and renewal project. I think we need to take a look at Mary differently. Luke records, and I believe he wants us to understand 
that Mary's courage isn't just some sort of morality tale or some weird goddess figure story. Because people have taken the worship of Mary a little bit too, too far over the years. But I see it, and I think Luke's trying to show us, this is a story of great empowerment and following the will of God. In a situation where maybe many of us in this room might have had a tough time saying yes to. But her acceptance becomes her, her pathway of empowerment. She says yes. And Mary is this prophet mother kind of leading us by example saying, when you see God's will and you're calling his life, you're going to say yes to it. She, she, I think, wants to encourage us to say yes to whatever God's called us to do. She was willing to go through some pretty heavy things, even humiliation. And in all of that, she worships. She sings a song. And we have it recorded. And so I, I want to I read that song. Can, can you we, lean in with me a little bit? Maybe close your eyes. Sometimes if we close our eyes, it helps with distraction. Uh, I want to read this to you. And, and I want you to hear Mary's song. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary's song. It goes back to history speaks of deliverance, about God doing his upside-down work, this new kingdom, a fulfillment of everything Israel had hoped for. I mean, the very act of Mary saying yes and accepting this call, she's kind of turning her back on the average. She's turning her back on the norm. She's turning her back on this sort of, sort of just everyday narrative. She's just going to live her life and one day have children. They're going to have a husband and we're going to live in this small community. She turns her back in many ways on all of this. That simple narrative of her life, for her life. And she is willing to be an unmarried, pregnant teenage girl who claims that God gave her this child. A child who'd one day set the captives free. She was willing to do that. I wonder if you or I would be willing. Wow. She says yes. And she, she chooses with agency to drive a spoke into the wheel of injustice, sorrow, and suffering. The nation of Israel was always supposed to be watching out for aliens, orphans, and widows, for the marginalized. God was for the marginalized. And Mary takes up that mantle. You see, I think in this season of Advent, week two, 
We need this Mary. We need this Mary. This fierce, prophetic, disruptive, proclaiming Mary, whose active acceptance of what God is asking her to do echoes for me Moses in a burning bush in the middle of a desert. God was going to do something unexpected. Clearly this too, like the burning bush, was very unexpected. This is accepting a prophetic call, and she does this. This is the Mary we need. Not some dismissive or remaining silent sort of Mary. This is a defiant, worshiping, fierce young lady. There is nothing passive about Mary's acceptance of this call. Her yes changed the world. Get your mind around that. Right? We're even in this room talking about it because of her in many ways. There's a writer who who said this. Her name's Kelly Nikenda. And she said this one time. What makes Mary so magnificent is her capacity to ponder and to protest. Be both prayerful and powerful in the same breath. She took sides with the hungry and the lowly. Her liberating practice implanted through the incarnation inspires and instructs us all. Author Sarah Bessie says it this way. Mary stands alongside the marginalized and the vulnerable, declaring the hope of the gospel good news as she carries Jesus in her womb. She consents with agency to receive it all, justice, peace, mercy, and receiving an upside-down kingdom, that upside-down kingdom that we get to be part of, too, all these centuries later. So the question is, do you accept God's call and invitation in your life? Is God calling you to accept his will for you? What is it in your life? You and I, we're uniquely gifted. Uh, We have a unique background. Maybe you're not Generation X like me, but we have a unique background, experiences, difficulties. What if God is using all of that in your life to do a miracle for someone else? What if God has called you in this season, in this time, and, and he's waiting for you to accept the call? But don't just passively accept the call. Let's, let's do it like Mary. Let's sing about it. Let's shout about it. She says yes to what God is calling her to do. And look at what happened. Did Mary ever find the riches of being the mother of a king? No. Did, did she get the, 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 all the glory and everything that would happen if you're part of the royal family? No. She said yes to what God called her to do, and it changed the world. So I want you to consider this. Whatever God's will is for your life, I know he has a plan and a purpose. We're told that before we were ever born, God had us in mind, and he had good work in, 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 in ready for us to do when we got here. What is that thing that God is calling you to? What is that thing that you can accept, the will of God in your life? I, I encourage you to accept God's will for your life. And, and maybe it's just that you bloom where you're planted. You're here in this community, so you can bloom where you're planted. Uh, do, do, do your work here because God's called you here. Now, he may call you somewhere else sometime, and that's okay, because then wherever he calls you to, you can still accept and do his will. But maybe God has called you here for a reason, a time and a season. It's not on accident that you're here. Produce fruit, fruit in, your, in your neighborhood, your family, the community. There's work that God has called each of us to do right here. And he's asked you and I to accept his, his will in our life. Accept his will. 
Where are you seeing the invitation of God on your life to answer the call, to accept what he's asked you to do? I'm telling you, each of us has a role to play. In fact, when the New Testament talks about the church body, it talks about hands and feet and different parts because we all have unique parts and roles to play. What is your role to play? And are you willing, like Mary so many years ago, to say, yes, may it be to me as you say, Lord. That is our challenge and our call in this season of Advent. In week two, saying yes to that call. And if you are someone who's never said yes to Jesus, never been stepped foot in the kingdom, you can do that. You can be part of the Jesus family today. If you've never done that, come see me, see one of our, our leaders here. We'd love to help you take a next step. Because being part of Jesus' kingdom is awesome. And it all started with, may it be to me as you say. I want to close with prayer, and I want to pray this prayer over us. This is a sort of a prophetic prayer, and, uh, and I want to pray it over you. So if you want to just, uh, again, once more, close your eyes, maybe bow your heads if that's helpful. Let me pray over you this. Pray over us. Let's pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we accept and we receive this new life and this new kingdom. We open wide our hearts and our arms to the vision of Mary, one that is powerful, has substance and weight, It's just and merciful and peacemaking, and it's truly good news. We accept, Father, the call that this good news of Advent, the season of waiting then and now, uh, is powerful for our time. Lord, empower us to decide in our hearts that we too are your humble servants. As you have said, let it be done to us. And we also sing like Mary, our spirits celebrate you, our liberator. Even though we're humble servants, you've noticed us. From generation to generation, your loving kindness endures. You have accomplished great deeds. Father, you've sent away the proud in mind and heart, and those rulers from high positions of power you've brought down low. Those who were humble and lowly, you have elevated with dignity. Thanks be to God. In Jesus' name, amen.